This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with Nick Carter, Master Detective. It was a mutual radio crime drama based on tales of the fictional private detective Nick Carter from Street and Smith's dime novels and pulp magazines. A veteran radio dramatist, Farron Fraser, wrote many of the scripts. With Lon Clark in the title role, it was heard as a 30-minute program on Sunday afternoons at 3 p.m. Now, here's an interesting little note. Walter B. Gordon, co-creator and writer of the Shadow pulp novels, was fired when he asked for a raise in 1946, then became head writer for the Nick Carter radio series. Oddly enough, he never liked to write scripts for the radio version of The Shadow, though both characters were published by Street and Smith. In tonight's episode, we'll hear about state prison evidence. Another case for Nick Carter, Master Detective. Yes, it's another case for that most famous of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction. Nick Carter, Master Detective. Tonight's curious adventure... State's Prison Evidence. On Nick Carter... And the mystery of the midnight robbery. Pardon me, uh, could you let me have a line? Certainly. There you are. Swell night, isn't it? Yes, indeed. It's a pleasure to walk on a night like this. Yeah. Well, thanks. Not at all. Good night. Good night. Yes, even in a big city like this, the stars are just... Uh... No. What? No. I wonder what's wrong with her. No. I beg your pardon, but is there anything I can do? Uh, can I help you? Is, is something wrong? Murder! Murder? Who is it? My uncle. When did it happen? I don't know. Well, where is he? The library. In this big house right here? Yes. Oh, it's all... You shouldn't be out here in your night clothes. It's too chilly. Come, let me take you back to the house. Come on. Yes. Back to the house. Did you call the police? No, I, I just saw him lying there in a pool of blood. Then I, I, I came out here to get help. Well, I'm Nick Carter, the detective. I'll be glad to help you if I can. Now, careful going up the steps. <laughs> there we are. Now... Show me the library. He's in there. Oh, yes. I see. He's dead, all right. Who found him? 
the housekeeper. She came in late and saw a light still on in here. And she looked in to see if he needed anything and saw... Then she called you? Yes. And you are... I'm Ella Jabot, his niece. I've lived here with him for the last five years since my mother died. I see. Has anything been touched since the body was found? No. Nobody's been in here at all. Good. Uh-huh. Shot through the head. Close range. Well, it looks as if he did it himself. No. No. Well, here's the pistol that was used right beside him. Did you hear the shot? No. I sleep at the opposite end of the house. Oh, Mr. Carter, please find whoever killed my uncle. What makes you think he didn't kill himself? He wouldn't do a thing like that. I know it. Well, that's hardly evidence, Miss Ella. Did you see this note? Note? I know. Your uncle apparently left it propped up here in his desk. It's addressed to Mrs. Sarah Jarboe, 7 Dunner Street, City. Do you know her? I never heard of her. What does it say? Let's see. My dear madam, you've been a widow, in fact, ever since the hour following our marriage. But before daybreaks, you will be a widow in name also, for I shall be dead. I have at last learned the truth. The one who told me right after our wedding ceremony that you were everything evil has at last confessed that you were really as good as I believed you to be. It's too late for me to ask you to forgive me for the great wrong I've done you. So I'm taking this way of making what amends I can. The upper drawer of my desk is my will, which leaves everything to you, the repentant husband, Enos Jarboe. That's a remarkable document. Did you know anything about your uncle ever having been married? No, I never heard that before. That note would seem to prove it was suicide. I know better. May I see that note? Of course. Here. I knew it, Mr. Carter. My uncle didn't kill himself, and he didn't write this note either. Isn't that your uncle's handwriting? It looks very much like it, but he didn't write it. Uncle didn't use this kind of pen. What do you mean? Uncle Enos was very proud of his handwriting, and he never used anything but a special type of old-fashioned steel pen point. It has a very fine point. I see. Yes. This note was undoubtedly written with a stub point. Another thing, Mr. Carter. Uncle never wrote anywhere except at his desk here. And this desk has been locked since yesterday morning, and I have the key. How long have you had it? I borrowed it yesterday morning because I had some letters to write. And I've had it ever since. Is there another key to this desk? No. Uncle would never write anywhere else. You're quite a convincing detective, Miss Ella. And if you're right, this can't be suicide in spite of the other evidence. I know I'm right. Uncle would never have taken his own life. I believe you. And I'm just curious enough about this to do a little investigating myself. If I'm as good a detective as you are, I'll find your uncle's murderer in short order. You think this Mrs. Sarah Blake is the woman you want, Nick? I'm not sure, Patsy. But the maid told me that she never heard of Mrs. Sarah Jarboe, but that Mrs. Sarah Blake lives here, I thought I'd better talk to her. She might be Mrs. Jarboe using her maiden name. Here she comes now. You uh, wish to speak to me? I'm looking for Mrs. Sarah Jarboe. Do you know her? I do. I am Sarah Jarboe. You are right, Nick. My name is Bill Peters. I'm a reporter. I'm writing a story on the sudden death of your husband, Enos Jarboe. Oh, the poor man. He died to make up to me for my years of heartbreak. Yes, I, I saw the note he left. Would you please tell me what happened? Well, I met him one summer on the coast of Maine. We were married in the fall. We took a train for Boston, and on the way he went into the smoking car to smoke a cigar. I never saw him again. Why, that's terrible. 
Why didn't he come back? I only know that when the train reached the station, a messenger gave me $500 and a note. It said that he had learned I was not a good woman and that I should never see him again. But didn't you try to clear it up? No. If he believed it, I would never seek to persuade him otherwise. I've worked as a governess ever since. I see. Well, uh, thank you very much, Mrs. Jarbo. Come along, Betsy. Goodbye, Mrs. Jarbo. I hope you'll be happy now. Thank you. And goodbye. Hmm. She certainly got a tough break. You know, Patsy, I was prepared to doubt everything she told me. But somehow I'm inclined to believe her story, even if it does spoil my theory that she's part of an elaborate put-up job. Which way are you going from here? Oh, I think I'll... Pardon me. Uh, would you let me have a light? Yes, of course. Here you are. Thanks. Nice day, isn't it? Yes, very pleasant. Thanks. So long. So long. Well, come along, Patsy. Uh, wait a minute. Hmm? I've met that man somewhere before. He asked me for a light just that same way. Where was it? Well, of course. It was outside Jarbo's house last night, right after the murder. You mean you think he... Wait a minute, watch a minute. I want to see if he... Yes. He's going into the house we just left. Right. If he and Mrs. Jarbo know each other, the chances are her story is a phony. Oh, but Nick, she seems... I know so... what I know, Patsy, but this changes things. Patsy, I want you to find out what you can about old Eno Jarbo's past. Find out about that marriage, if there ever was one. But first, call Scubby and tell him to get here right away. Okay. That man leaves before Scubby gets here. I'll follow myself. Otherwise, Scubby can tail him. But I've got to know where he goes and what he does. Right now, he's our one positive clue. Is it all right to talk in here, Nick? The lobby of a big hotel is probably the safest place in the world to talk in, Scubby. Well, what'd you find out? Well, I followed him over to a saloon over on 3rd Avenue. Yeah? There was a fellow waiting there for him. I tried to hear what they talked about, but all I could get was the name Jarbeau. Yeah, I heard that several times. I thought so. But just as I was really getting in close, a couple of plainclothes cops came along and pinched him. Pinched him? What for? Well, it seems he broke out of state's prison three days ago. I heard the cops call him Barney McCoy. Barney McCoy. Yeah. Jailbird from state's prison. Ah, pardon me, Scubby. Want to speak to the desk clerk? Oh, sure, Nick, but what do you have to... Oh, clerk, I'd like to speak yes. to the governor's suite, please. Yes, Mr. Carter. Uh, use booth number two, right over there, please. Thank you. Oh, Nick, what in the world do you want to talk to the governor for? Just having a reference, Scubby. Stopping at this very hotel for a few days. I want him to do me... Uh... Hello, Mr. Secretary. Well, this is Nick Carter. I'd like to speak to the governor a moment, if I may. Thank you. Hello, governor. This is Nick Carter. Fine, thanks. Governor, I want to go to state's prison. Oh, no, not as a visitor. I want to go as a convict. Nick, are you nuts? No, I mean it. If you can spare me five minutes, I think I can convince you. Thanks. I'll be right up. Ella, I asked you to meet me here at my office because I'm going to be out of town for a few days. And I want to have everything straight before I leave. Uh, has anything further happened? Nothing, Mr. Carter. Except that Mrs. Jarbo has installed herself in the house as its mistress. She's very unpleasant to me. I know she'd like me to leave. Well, you stay right there. Did the will leave anything to you? No, Mr. Carter. Everything went to her. I can't understand it. I can. That will is forged. But the will is in uncle's handwriting. And both the witnesses to the will have identified their signatures as genuine. And the will was found where the note said it would be. But nevertheless, I'm convinced the will's a fake. Betsy, what did you find out? Nina Jarbeau and Sarah Blake were married right enough. I found the record in a little church on the south side. Hmm. 
Sarah really is his wife. Forged will doesn't make sense. And neither does a suicide note, which Jarbeau didn't write. Maybe he did kill himself after all, Mr. Carter. Maybe he just forgot about me. I don't believe it, Ella. I don't either. And Ella, I'm going to prove I'm right, even if I even if I have to go to jail to do it. Oh, you're the new man. Yeah, Warden. But what's your name? Max Herbert. Where were you born? Buffalo, New York. How old are you? 33. Nationality? American. Married? Nope. Crime? Housebreaking. Very well. The guard will take you to the photographers and then to the laboratory. Well, fella, you've been here three days. How do you like working in this shoe shop? I don't like it. Not cut out for it. What are you in for? Second story job. What'd I get you for? Cracking a safe. There's four of us. Two of them got away. Me and McCoy was nailed cold. McCoy? Hey, you wouldn't mean Barney McCoy, would you? Yeah. Yeah, you know him? Sure. Know him well. Great guy. He sure is. You know his wife? Yeah, some. He's a darn smart woman, Eddie is. Eddie? Yeah. Thought her name was Sarah. No, no, his wife's Eddie. Sarah was his sister. Yeah, they look so much alike, you couldn't tell one from the other. Yeah. Well, what became of Sarah? I don't know. She married some rich guy for his money, but left it flat. I don't know what happened after that. Eddie's still in town waiting for Mac to get out. Yeah, he did break out. A few days ago. He just caught him and brought him back here. Yeah. Yeah, they got him on the rock pile for trying to escape. Hey, cut out that talking, you guys. Get back to work. Okay, okay. So Barney McCoy's on the rock pile now. I rather think I'd like to be transferred to the rock pile myself. Hey, Barney. You've known me now for almost two weeks. Yeah. So what? You know, I wouldn't give you a bum steer, don't you? What are you leading up to, Max? I'm working on a way to get out of here. Before I come up here, I heard you on the level. I'd like to let you in on it. Where did you ever hear of me outside this place? Oh, a big town. A girl named Sarah told me about you. What? You married her sister, Eddie. You know Sarah? Sure. About five, six years ago. Haven't seen her since, though. Uh, Sarah's, uh, Sarah's in Europe now. Yeah. When are you planning on getting out of here? As soon as I get the necessary people lined up. If I had some dough, we could get out of here tomorrow. How much do you need? About 200 to start with. Okay. I'll have it for you tomorrow. Okay, Max. You get that stuff and we'll get out of here in two days. <laughs> All right, you get five minutes to talk. Hey, Nick, why don't you... I'm Max Herbert in here. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have remembered. How in the world did you ever get in this place? The governor fixed it so that I was caught red-handed rubbing the home of a friend of his. When they caught me, I had the family silver in one hand and the family jewels in the other. (laughs) It was easy. And now you arranged to be transferred to the gang where McCoy's working. Well, have you found anything? Yes. It's all circumstantial. But Barney McCoy and I are breaking out of here day after tomorrow. And I'm hoping to get some proof then. Are you sure you're getting out of here? Yes. 
one of the keepers is working with us. Oh. I think this same keeper fixed McCoy's getaway last time. And I also think, from what I've heard, that he may have helped in Jarboe's murder. Yeah. I've learned positively that he was absent from the prison on leave that day. But isn't there danger if you're getting hurt if you try to break out of here? Of course there is. I have to take that chance. I've got to stick to McCoy. Don't worry, Scubby. I'll be all right. I hope. You all set, McCoy? All set. Everything's fixed. Good. You see that delivery truck over there, Max? Yeah. Well, that's going to break down when it tries to start. I get it. We'll have to help it get out of the yard here. Right. Listen. He's trying to start it now. The guard all set. Sure. Mike's with us all the way. Same as before. Hey, you over there. That's us. Come on. Give us a hand with this truck. Okay. What's the matter? Motor won't start. Have to give him a push. You two get a hold here and give him a start. Okay, Mike. Rest of you guys get back to work. All right, get your shoulder behind it, Max. Okay. Let's go. All right. Heave. Try it again. Heave. Once more. Oh, come on, get it going. We ain't got all day. Heave. Soon as the motor starts, jump on the truck. Right, I got you. Okay, again. There. Come on, Max. I'm in. Get down so they can't see you. Look, the bridge over the railroad tracks is just ahead. When we get over the tracks, be ready to jump. Be right with you. All right, now. Come on. Right behind you, Barney. Jump on the tender of that engine below us. Now. Okay. You all right, McCoy? Yeah. Come on, engineer. Give her all the steam you got. Don't stop the talk. You, fireman, feed the coal to her. I don't want to use this gun unless I have to. Watch out, Max. The outside wall of the prison is just ahead. You'd better duck. There's going to be shooting. Right, McCoy. All okay so far? Oh, here it comes. Watch it. Uh, look at it. Pour it out. <laughs> well, we're out of jail now. And for good. It's good to see you back in your office again, Mr. Carter. Yes, it's good to be back here, Ella. Now, tell me, have you learned anything interesting since I last saw you? I think so, Mr. Carter. Now, let's have it. A few months ago, our housekeeper spent about a month visiting her son in California. Before she went, she put an ad in the paper for a temporary housekeeper. Several women answered the ad, and uh, Mrs. Martin was given the job. She had light brown hair and wore dark glasses. I disliked her on sight, and I'm sure she disliked me. When our housekeeper returned... This Mrs. Martin left, and I never saw her again until the day my uncle was buried. What do you mean, Ella? On that day, she presented herself as my uncle's widow. Your uncle's widow? Yes, Mr. Carter. When she first came to live in the house after the funeral, I thought there was something very familiar about her. But not until a few days ago did I suddenly realize that Mrs. Jarboe was Mrs. Martin, with black hair instead of brown and without her dark glasses. Ella, could you swear to that? No, but some of her little mannerisms, certain tricks of speech, uh, a funny way of walking, all make me positive. That explains the mystery of how the fake will was forged. While Mrs. Martin was substituting for the housekeeper, she could have found out about the will, taken it out, had a new one forged, and then returned it. The night your uncle was murdered, the forged will was substituted for the original one in the desk drawer by using a duplicate key that had been prepared in advance. And it might interest you, Nick, to know that when Ella told me this the other day, I checked at the house where we first met Mrs. Jarboe. 
The woman there told me that Mrs. Jarboe was away on a visit during the month that Mrs. Martin took the place of Ella's housekeeper. Good work. That settles it, Betsy. Just a minute, Mr. Carter. There's another thing you better know. Something else? Yes, Mr. Carter. Last evening, a strange man came to the house. He and Mrs. Jarboe were apparently old friends because she called him Mac. Barney McCoy. She took him up to her room where I heard them talking for a long time. I tried to hear what they were saying but couldn't get close enough. But I did hear him say it was time to get that girl out of the way for good. And then Mrs. Jarboe said that now that Mac was back, it was time to wind up the job. Well, Ella, if everything goes as I hope it will, we'll be the ones to wind up the job, not Mrs. Jarboe. Anything else you want me to do? Yes. Meet me in the rear of your home tomorrow night at 11 o'clock. We'll make our final arrangements then. In the meantime, sit tight and keep your ears and eyes open. Mr. Carter. That you, Ella? Yes. Come into the living room here. We can talk better. Okay. Sure there's no one around? Not now. That man, Mac, was here earlier, but he left quite a while ago. Mrs. Jarbeau has gone up to her room. We can talk safely here. All right. Don't turn on the light. Maybe seen. We can talk just as well in the dark. Whatever you say. Now tell me. Does Mrs. Jarbeau know you've ever seen this man, Mac? Oh, no. I've kept out of the way whenever he's been around. Good. Do you know what he came here for this evening? There was talk about chloroform and poison. And then she told him the lawyer for the, for the estate was here this afternoon mm-hmm. and said that she would be in full legal possession of the estate in another few days. I see. And then he said that if that was the case, it was the time to act before it was too late. Well, now it's time for us to act, too. I think we'd better... Somebody's unlocking the door through which we came. Maybe they won't come in here. Who's in this room? I can't see you in the dark, but I know you're there. Who's there? Who are you? None of your business. Speak up or I'll shoot. If you do, you'll never live to see another day. What's going on in here? Why isn't the light off? Mrs. Jarboe, Ella, what are you Barnaby doing here? Barnaby, you... Max Herbert, by all this holy. What are you doing here? Why, I, uh... Well, you see, Barney, I, uh... Yeah? He's here because he loves me. Don't you know this man is an ex-convict? You ought to be serving a sentence in state's prison right now. Yes, I know that. Well, that's why we had to meet like this, Barney. Is this true, Ella? Yes, Mrs. Jarboe, it is. Hmm. Look here, you. You interviewed me a couple of weeks ago, said you were writing a story for your paper. You said then your name was Peters. Now you say it's Herbert. Well, my real name is Herbert Peters, ma'am. You see, I... And you? I, uh, what are you doing here? I'm a night watchman on duty in this neighborhood. I saw this man come in here and followed him. Recognized him as a suspicious character. You're both lying. Get out of here, both of you, immediately. And as for you, Ella, get upstairs at once. I'll deal with you later. Yeah, that's all the thanks I get for trying to protect your place against thieves. I will get out. Come on, you. Go ahead, Barney. I'm coming. Good night, Ella, dear. And see that you never come back. Either of you. Hey, Max. Yeah? Was that story about you and the girl straight? Why, sure, Barney. Wasn't your story on the level? Well, to... 
tell you the truth, I was going to see if I could find a few things I could swipe. I'm flat broke. You haven't got a few bucks on you, have you? Sure, Barney. I can let you have a tent spot. What? Here. Gee, thanks, pal. I won't forget you for this. Forget it. Yeah, we sure were lucky to get out of there so easy. Yeah. I thought the old dame was going to have us pinched. You're under arrest, both of you, so don't try to get my right. Stick you, go. Stop, stop, or I'll shoot. No, you don't. You let go of my arm. You made me miss it. So what? Yep. Well, I got you anyway. You won't get away. You're going back to state's prison again, Mr. Max Herbert. Oh, you know my name, do you? I sure do. And I know yours, Ben Lyons. But, what? You know me? Hey, let me look at you. Gladly. Come over onto the street light. All right. You know me now? Well, Nick Carter. <laughs> well, I'll be... Well, gosh, I'm sorry, Mr. Carter, but a, a woman just called the station, said she'd passed two escaped convicts in front of her house, and if we hurried, we could pick them up. Even give us their names, too, well, so I... Now, Ben, listen to me. I'm on the trail of something big. Have the lieutenant and eight men meet me at 12 o'clock tomorrow night at the back of the Jarbeau place across the street where they won't be seen. Okay. Be sure to tell them not to fail me, because I expect to capture the murderers of Enos Jarbeau. <laughs> Posted as we agreed, Scubby? Yes, Nick. Outside and inside the house. Good. They have orders to let anybody come up here, but to let nobody go downstairs again. Then we're ready for the finale in this case. What's that you've got there, Nick? It's a new type of microphone, Patsy. Oh. I've attached it to the wall between this room and Mrs. Jarbo's room. Mm-hmm. Through the vibration of the wall, it'll pick up whatever is said in her room. Then whatever is picked up is amplified so that it's loud enough for us to hear it. The amplifier also has a recording device which makes a permanent record of the conversation on a wire tape. Gosh, what will they think of next? All right, now. Let's listen. I'll turn it on. But I tell you, Barney, we can't lose. In a few more days, the whole Jarboe estate will be mine, legally. I know, Addy, but can you handle that girl for a few days more? That's well, if I point. can't, we'll give her what we gave the old man. Do we have to? If she's dead, we know she ain't going to bother us. Yeah. So, is that... Hey, what the devil's that? Quiet. How do I know? The housekeeper's answering us. Hey, somebody's coming up here. Did you tell anybody you were up here? Anybody here? Mike! What? what are you doing here? Well, that's a fine question to ask me. I'm here because you sent for me. Who sent for you? You did, McCoy. You're crazy. I did nothing of the kind. I got your note this morning. It is. What? Come to Sharpo House tonight, but not before 12. Everything okay. Very important. And it's signed, Barney. Listen, I never wrote that note. Well, if you didn't, it means trouble for us. Somebody else knows about this business besides us three. You, you mean we're caught? We ain't caught yet. But we will be if we don't watch our step. Even now, I was afraid of this. I knew I should have kept out of it. Ah, shut up, you rat. You're not in jail yet. But I'm going to be. I can feel it coming. Don't shut up, Mike. I'll bring you. You did it, McCoy. You fired the shot that killed the old man. I just shut up, you scared an eye off. Come on, kids. It's enough of that. Let's go. Right with you, Nick. I'll take it easy, Sarah. Wait a minute, will you? I can't wait any longer. Get your hands up, both of you. And no funny business. Max, what are you... No, McCoy, not Max. Nick Carter. Nick Carter? You ain't got nothing on us. Oh, Nick's Nick's got enough on you three to send you to the chair. Yes, McCoy, we know the whole plot from beginning to end. Tell him what we found out, Nick. What do you mean? It means I know that Sarah married Jarbo, and that shortly afterwards she died. You, Addie, her sister, married McCoy. When Sarah died, you found her marriage certificate and decided to use your resemblance to her to get the old man's money. McCoy was in prison then, but you arranged with the guard Mike here to help McCoy escape when the time was ripe. 
than to pay Mike for his trouble, you cut him in on the deal. Then you, Eddie, got that temporary job here as a housekeeper, which was an unexpected break. While you were here, you had the fake will made. Then when all was ready, McCoy escaped as planned. Mike came with him, and between the three of you, you chloroformed old Jarbeau, and then shot him in such a way that it looked like suicide. How do you know it wasn't suicide? The suicide note you left for the old man. Whoever Addy got to forge that will for her did such an expert job that the witnesses recognized their own forged signatures as genuine. But whoever wrote that suicide note was so clumsy that he wrote it with a blunt-pointed fountain pen instead of the sharp-pointed steel pen that was the only pen Jarbeau ever used. That ain't proof. That's guessing. We've got plenty of proof, McCoy. And if that isn't enough, to top it all off, the conversation in this room between you three crooks has been recorded in full for the past 20 minutes. And if that isn't practically a confession and good legal evidence in any court, my name isn't Nick and Carter. This was another strange experience of Nick Carter, Master Detective, called State's Prison Evidence, or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Midnight Murder. Another of the curious adventures of Nick Carter, which are brought to you regularly at the same time each week by W.O.R. Mutual. And now, Nick, what about our story for next week? Well, next week's story started off as a simple question of who stole the firm's funds. But it ended up by being the very perplexing question of who killed two men and caused the death of a third. And not the least puzzling part of the case was to find out who fired the fatal bullet which started off the murders. Isn't that usually the most puzzling part of a murder story? Well, yes, it is. But in this case, the man who was killed was standing by my side in the corridor of a large office building. And there was no one around at the time who could have fired the gun that killed him. I'm afraid I'm getting more mixed up all the time. (laughs) That's exactly how we felt about it. But Nick cleared it all up in spite of everything. And we'll tell you all about it next week. So long. So long, folks. And so long to you, Nick and Patsy. See you next week. In The Strange Adventure You've Just Heard, Nick Carter was impersonated by Lon Clark, Patsy by Helen Choate, and Scubby by John Kane. Original music was played by Lou White. The entire production was written and directed by Jock McGregor. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Let me take you back a number of years when one of the most popular shows on radio belonged to Fibber McGee and Molly. Tonight's show is called Package from Uncle Seymour. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Jimmy Shields, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with It's a Hap, Hap, Happy Day. Before we get together for another Fibber and Molly show next week, many of you will be richer by many lovely Christmas gifts. When you have them all unwrapped and you're standing there thinking how nice Santa was to you, ask yourself this question. How many of these presents should be protected with genuine Johnson's wax? Now, to some of you, that might seem a strange thought. Of course, you can't wax a necktie or a handkerchief or a negligee. 
But you'd be surprised how many things you can protect and preserve with Johnson's Wax. Picture frames and parchment lamp shades, for instance. A wax polish will keep them beautiful and easier to clean and dust. Leather goods, new luggage, shoes, fine book covers, handbags should all be given a Johnson Wax beauty treatment. Guns, fishing rods, sleds, even fine briar pipes all benefit in appearance and service when they're wax protected. It's the same Johnson's Wax that has beautified and protected floors for over 50 years that gives greater beauty to tables, chairs, and woodwork. So, before you begin to use these lovely gifts, protect their beauty with genuine Johnson's Wax. convinced Fibber that his back fence quarrels with neighbor Gildersleeve have no place during the Yuletide season. Result? Here shoveling the snow off Gildersleeve's sidewalk in a burst of virtue and perspiration, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Ah, nice work, McGee. Only 20 feet to go. Are you tired, dearie? Oh, phew. Are I tired? <laughs> and look at these blisters. Oh, heavenly days. They are big, aren't they? Big? I ain't had such blisters since I played hooky from the fifth grade. How could you get blisters on your hand playing hooky? Did I say they was on my hand? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to work. You're almost through now. Okay. <clears throat> there. Well, all finished. Whew, am I tired? And a nice job, too, Diddy. Yeah, but it ain't right, Molly. Doing all this work for a big heel like Gildersleeve. Well, a heel never gets anywhere without some good soul to lead the way. <laughs> wow. Let's go in the house. I'm cold after that. <laughs> hey, Fibber. Fibber, Molly, I've got something for oh, you. Oh, look, McGee, Mr. Wilcox. Uh-oh. This may be that thing, folks. <laughs> Better start taking up the rug. <laughs> Well, and what have you got for us, Mr. Wilcox? <laughs> a big package. Here, take it, Fibber. Oh, is it from you, Mr. Wilcox? No, I just happened to see your name on it at the post office, so I told the mailman I'd save him a trip. Oh, oh gee, thanks, Arlo. What you been doing at the post office? Oh, I just sent my little nephew a snake for Christmas. Oh. Snake? That's kind of dangerous, ain't it, for a kid? Oh, it couldn't hurt him. It's just a baby snake. How do you know? Well, it's still carrying its little rattle. Oh. <laughs> well, so long, folks. <laughs> Reminds me of the time when I was a boy, Molly. Somebody gave me a great dame for my birthday, but I had to give it away. Why? Cost too much to feed him. Had the house broke before he was. Oh. <laughs> well, come on, let's go in and open up this package. Okay. Who's the package from, Molly? Look, McGee. Huh? It's from your Uncle Sycamore. No. Not old Uncle Sycamore McGee. Right. Why, he wouldn't send anybody anything. That guy's tighter than the middle sardine. <laughs> but you always said he was a very wealthy man. Sure, he is, but he's such a miser, that's probably a couple pounds of sawdust to refill that rag doll he gave me when I was three years old. Oh, McGee. <laughs> and I'll bet he foreclosed the mortgage on the saloon to get the sawdust. Well, whatever it is, I don't think we should open it until Christmas. Uncle Sycamore would be offended. Now, wait a minute, Molly. Wait a minute. 
As the guy says when he's seen the gal in the old-fashioned bathing suit, there must be more here than meets the eye. <laughs> Maybe the old spider has finally got a hunk of Christmas spirit. Yeah, like old Scrooge. Maybe yeah. he's broken down at last. Sure, he's getting pretty well along in years, you know. Maybe he's begun to realize that I'm old enough now to handle large sums of money, and maybe he's just... Oh, shucks, I'm dreaming. Well, don't wake up now. Go on and dream. I was just thinking the old skinflint might really send a lot of dough to... Oh, no, no, I'm wrong. Not that old tightwad. How can a man be so stingy? I don't know. They say he's so close-fisted, the only way a fortune teller can read his palm is with an x-ray. Yeah? What'd you say? X-ray. Yes. That's it, Molly. You got it. X-ray. We'll get that package X-ray. That won't hurt Uncle Sycamore's feelings. Wonderful, McGee. Wonderful. Oh, you're so clever. <laughs> oh, it was nothing that any red-blooded American boy could... <laughs> get your hat, Molly. We're going downtown and get this box X-ray. We'll even take a cab. I'll be right with you. Dear. Oh, I'm a millionaire. If that package you got there is more than a pack of Navy beans. <laughs> you ready, Molly? Let's go. <laughs> Second door on the left. Here's your change, Doc. Oh, go. That's all right. Keep it, bud. Gee, thanks. This will come in handy. I was all out of sin sin. <laughs> well, what did you swallow? We ain't swallowed anything, sis. Oh, really? Most oh. everybody comes in here swallowed something. Hairpins or coins or tacks. I'm writing a book about it. I can't even swallow that. What's the title of your book, dearie? How to get to the seat of your trouble without calling an usher. 
I'm author myself, you know, sis. What did you write? The Midget's Britches. <laughs> it was one of them short shorts. <laughs> now, look, miss. We want some X-ray pictures taken of this package. Yeah. I see. If you'll sit down, the technician will see you in a few minutes. Oh, fine. Oh, McGee, you know I'm a little nervous. Me too. What if there is a million dollars in this package? Oh, don't say too much about it, Mom. Oh, good day, my dear. Will you please see if my X-ray plates are ready? Oh, sorry, Mrs. Uppington. They won't be ready until tomorrow. Hey, Molly, look who's here. A big flake off the upper crust. <laughs> when, for goodness sake. You who, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? Oh, so nice to see you. Oh, and Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppy. <laughs> Did I hear you asking about some X-ray plates, Mrs. Uppington? Uh, yes, yes, sir. For my brother, Stuyvesant. Uh, Stuyvesant is an operatic baritone, you know. He plays here last winter. Oh, oh so... yes. Stuyvesant's up in Tonio. We heard him in the Barber of Seville. Remember, McGee? Barber who? Let me think. Barber Oh, yeah. Wasn't he the fat guy in the red tights that come out and hollered, Next? <laughs> Please, Mr. McGee. Well, uh, what happened to Stuyvesant, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, it happened last week at the annual banquet of the Union League Club. Mm. I was there with Stuyvesant, uh -huh. and I noticed he was eating entirely too fast. So I spoke to him about it. Sty, I said, you mustn't eat so fast. Really, I said, you're acting like a pig, Sty. <laughs> Dear, dear. Yes. And just then it... Oh, what a horrible moment. He swallowed a lace doily. Oh. Not stupid, Sam. <laughs> my, my. He was hungry, wasn't he? Does he like Chinese food, Uppy? I got an extra laundry bag he can have if he'll take uh, the thing. Mr. McGee, I, I don't consider Stuyvesant's predicament any cause for levity. Oh. Particularly in view of the outrageous newspaper publicity. What the newspapers do, Uppy? Oh, that horrible nickname they gave for Stuyvesant huh? when they saw the x-rays of that lace doily over his heart. What oh. nickname, Mrs. Uppington? Uh, the human valentine. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that perfectly disgusting? Oh, that is. oh well, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> What in the suppose is in that package, Molly? Here, here, let me heft it a minute. Here it is. Hmm. Weighs about nine pounds. I wonder what weighs nine pounds. I did when I was born. <laughs> oh, there, baby. Here's the film, Jordan. Oh, thank you. Better stop by again tomorrow. Sure will, baby. Oh, well, hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Glad to see you. Hello, Mr. Oldtimer. I see you're working for some film company. Yep. They say it's got a great future, too. But I don't know. I still like the old stereopticon. <laughs> <laughs> you would. <laughs> Incidentally, you know who invented the magic lantern? Old Diogenes. When he was looking for an honest man. He knew he couldn't do it without magic. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the... See, what am I talking about? That wasn't either good. <laughs> The way I hear it, <laughs> one fellow says to tell a fellow, see, have you seen Tom Hope's new picture, The Cat and the Canary? No, says the second fellow. Anyway, that ain't Tom Hope's picture, it's Bob Hope. Oh, says the first fellow, I thought he played the part of the cat. <laughs> well, long kids, Merry Christmas. Same you, old timer.
I'm hopeful. I wonder what would happen if the cat and the canary ever played a double bill with, of mice and men. I'll bet, <laughs> I'll bet the mice... Is Woo-hoo! One third, everybody! Let me see the x-ray man. <laughs> I'm afraid you can't see him right now, Grandma. He's busy. Okay, Shorty. I just wanted my collarbone x-rayed. I think I busted it. Huh? But it don't really matter. I hardly ever wear collars anyway. <laughs> How'd you bust a collarbone, Grandma? I fell off a box car bumming away back from Atlanta. <laughs> Woohoo! What a trip. Yeah? I went down there for the preview, gone with the wind. Wowie, what a picture. Only thing is, Skippy, I didn't get the big ovation I expected. Ovation? What did you expect? And that crab gable never even gave me a tumble. The rip. <laughs> now, wait a minute. What is this? Why should they have paid any attention to you, Grandma? Shorty? Huh? It was a long time ago when you was only a boy. Yeah? But I was the first girl ever tested for Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then were the good old days. Say, girly, when the dark is free, give me a ring at the bowling alley. Woohoo! One side to the glamour girl. Hmm. Glamour girl, eh? She might have come from a good southern family fast, McGee. Yeah. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if hers was one of the first families of Virginia to go barefoot. <laughs> Mr. McGee, the technician will see you now. Oh, thank you, dearie. Bring the package, McGee. Okay. Ooh, careful, Molly. It's kind of dark in here. Yeah. You the x-ray technician, bud? Certainly I am, Waddlebug. Yes, indeed. Oh, Boomer. <laughs> yes, Horatio K. Boomer. Expert on the short wave and the long haul. Say, uh, we want to have this package x-rayed, Mr. Boomer. We think there's money in it. Yeah. Money? Yeah. Why, of course, of course. Yeah. Now, look here, Boomer. I won't stand for this. You... Oh, hello, Fibber and Molly. Excuse me. Oh, don't mind us, Harlow, but ain't you in the wrong office? This is an x-ray, not a fluoroscope. Uh... Well, never mind that. Now, look here, Boomer. You're a jip. Now, there is a very penetrating bit of character analysis. Go on, Mr. Wilcox. Yes. Proceed with the indictment, my long-limbed linoleum lover. (laughs) Looky here. Look at this fake X-ray photograph of Mrs. Perkins' spinal column. Is that it? You told her this proves she needed a long series of X-ray treatments for a lame back. Well, now, wait a minute, Harlow. Maybe Boomer's right. Oh, yeah? I took this picture to a real X-ray expert. And he said this was a fairly bad photograph of a banana stalk. Heavenly. <laughs> a banana stalk. Curses. I am undone. Now, you know very well, Boomer, there's nothing wrong with Mrs. Perkins' back that a little rest from floor scrubbing wouldn't cure in a week. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Somebody must have left the script open. <laughs> now, I told Mrs. Perkins, Boomer, to get some Johnson self-polishing glow coat for her linoleum. And she'd never again have a lame back from hours of scrubbing and worrying about scuffed and dull linoleum. I'll say so. Why, with glow coat, all she has to do is pour a little on the linoleum, spread it around, and wait for it to dry. No rubbing, no buffing. It's as simple as that. Here, take your picture of the banana stalk. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> hmm. Ah, I rather like that, young man. Admire your sincerity. Excitable fellow, though. Well, hurry up and x-ray that package, will you, Mr. Boomer? Ah, yes, the package. Interesting assignment. So this work presents many a fascinating problem. For instance, I x-ray a man 
and all the valuables in his pockets are immediately exposed to my view. Oh. Care to look at some of my trophies? Here's a pair of star sapphire cufflinks. Had to give a patient 50,000 volts to get those. <laughs> Must have been quite a shock to him. Yes, yes. Here's a beautiful wallet. Took it right out from under a fellow's eye. Huh? Here's the wallet. Here's his eye. Oh. Here's a check for short beer. Yes, it's a fascinating... Oh, come on, hurry up, Boomer, and x-ray this package. Control yourself, Peabody, control yourself. Just wait till I turn on the juice. Ready? Go. Hmm. Seems to be something wrong. Mr. Miss Abernathy! Miss Abernathy! Huh, seems to be something wrong here with cars. Yes, it was shut off a little while ago. You haven't paid the light bill. Well, well, imagine that. No current. <laughs> Come on, dearie. Let's go home. Yeah. I'd suggest you try another X-ray expert and more power to him. <laughs> Folks, Jimmy Shields sings a beautiful old Irish ballad. I'll take you home again, Kathleen. Take it to me. home again, Kathleen, across the ocean wild and wide, where your heart has Christmas to open this package from Uncle Sycamore. Let's open it up now. Okay, McGee. I give up. Open oh, it. Okay. Nobody here but us chickens. Here she goes. Now, if this, if this box is full of dough, we, we'll, we'll have it to spend for Christmas. Right. And we'll... Oh, for the... Come in. Telegram for Fibber McGee. Sign here. 
Thanks. Well, that's okay, bud. Keep the change. And a Merry Christmas to you. What's it saying to you? Listen. Dear nephew, please take my clothes out of box and hang them up. We'll arrive December 24th to spend the holiday. <laughs> Don't meet me at the station. We'll walk. It's cheaper. Oh, Sign Sycamore McGee. Well, I'll be a... Run upstairs and get a cake of soap and a hairbrush, Molly. I think you're going to have to wash my mouth out and spank me in a few minutes. Oh, well, let stingy. yourself go, dearie. I know just how you feel. Why, that stingy old rip. <laughs> Molly, it ain't fair. Doing me out of a million dollars like that. Not after the way I scrimped and saved and denied myself all these years. Ah, oh. oh, shucks, that spoils my whole Christmas. Oh, now, come, come. Cheer up, dearie. It isn't that bad. Oh, go away. Oh. Be quiet. Come in. Hi, mister. Oh. What's on your mind, sis? Hmm? I says, what you want? What you got? That's beside the point. Gee, yes, it? You'd better be careful in Haddon at home. Haddon what? Hmm? Listen, little girl, I ain't in any mood for small talk today. I just had a great sorrow. Oh. What you want? Well, gee, I've just been going around the neighborhood looking at people's Christmas trees, I bet you. Yes. We ain't put it up yet. Oh. What's more, the way I feel now, I don't care if we never have a day. Oh, McGee, now that's no way to talk. Well, anyway, what... Gee, I guess you're an old fireplace, Mr. <laughs> I am not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm... Or am I? Hey, maybe I am at that. Hey, what's the matter with me, anyway? I'd rather tell you sometime after Christmas, mister. Oh, you would, eh? <laughs> hmm? Look, sis, you were absolutely right. I am a starpuss. Right. I'm a Scrooge. You come back Monday and take a look at our Christmas tree, and I think I can safely say there'll be something on it for you. I'll bet this is the first place she comes on Christmas morning. I know it won't. Huh? This is the 14th place, mister. What? Looky, I got a list. And they've all promised me a present. Gee, aren't people peachy, though? Hey, Willie. Yeah? I made my coat. How'd you do over Jones's? <laughs> kid like that to get you in the Christmas spirit. You know, Molly, this really is a great time of the year. Why, sure, sir. Yes, sir. I'll almost be glad to have your Uncle Sycamore here. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> what do we got to kick about? Enough to eat, a good home, nice neighbors. Even Mr. Gildersleeve? Why, sure, Gildersleeve is okay. And when he finds out I shovel his sidewalk off for him, why, he'll be... Oh, I'll bet that's him now. Look, Molly, let's ask him and his wife over for dinner and bridge tonight. Let's really get acquainted with them. I'll bet they're real people. That's a good idea, McGee. Yeah. Come in. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. So nice to see you. Hi, Throcky, old man. Merry Christmas. Did you notice I shoveled all the snow off your sidewalk? Yes, I did. And listen here, McGee. Why don't you shovel off your own sidewalk? I'll take care of mine and you take care of yours. Oh, no. <laughs> 
Well, I'll be a naughty comment. Why, Mr. Gildersleeve, what do you mean? McGee thought it would be a nice neighborly gesture. Mrs. McGee, the only gesture I want from that man you took for better or worse, and I know which, <laughs> is a gesture of farewell. Oh, yeah? Gildersleeve, you got no more gratitude than a collector of internal revenue. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. McGee... One of these days, I'm going to tangle with you. <laughs> and you'll wind up in a bigger cast than they had in The Wizard of Oz. Gildersleeve, if you ever twitch a lapel toward me, I'll hand a couple of socks on your chin that Santa Claus couldn't fill in eight centuries. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. All right, boys. Break it up. Break it up. Mommy, Mrs. Mrs. McGee, if this was worth a banana oil... Quiet, both of you. Sit down, McGee. Okay. And you, Mr. Gildersleeve, for shame. Well, I... The idea. Here it is nearly Christmas, and my husband went out of his way to... I hope next time he goes so far out of his way, he'll get lost. <laughs> Listen, Gildersleeve, you can't talk that way to my wife about her husband. <laughs> now, listen here, I won't have this calling in my house. Not with Johnson's wax on the floor. What's that got to do with it? Nothing. But we haven't mentioned it for some time. <laughs> now, look, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes? Why on earth should you be angry because somebody does you a favor? Yeah. McGee saved you a lot of work, just as a friendly act. Yeah. You're ungrateful and unreasonable. But, Mrs. McGee, I want to shovel that snow off the sidewalk myself. In the first place, my wife got me a new show snubble for Christmas. <laughs> told me to do it for the exercise. McGee is deliberately undermining my health. That's what he's doing. Not that I have anything against you. I like you, Mrs. McGee. Merry Christmas to you. Did you get our Christmas tree yet? No, but I'm going to run out right now and bring in the clothes pole. Clothes pole? Yeah, with all the needles I've got today, I can make my own tree. <laughs> Folks, this is our last chance to talk to you before Monday, and so on behalf of S.C. Johnson and Son and all of us on the program... We want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat racing Wisconsin, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night at this same time. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Gunsmoke, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.